Hi, this is Amanda Dolan, and welcome to The Mental Society. Today, we are joined by self-proclaimed bad bitch, sad bitch, Mana. Mana is a quick-witted stand-up comedian, the owner of Claws Out Media and Entertainment, and the creator and producer of Claws Out Comedy. Mana balances her dark sense of humor with nuanced wordplay and silver linings as she delves into sensitive subjects ranging from romantic relationships, dealing with mental health, and sexual assault. Her albums, Unstable and Unprecedented, are now available to stream on all platforms, and you should definitely check those out. She just finished recording her new album, Unfiltered, and I uh, got to be a guest um, in the audience, and it was awesome, and you should keep an eye out for that, um, because when it comes out, you're going to want to listen. Um, So let's just dive right in. Mana, thank you so much for being um, a guest here, and like I just said, you recorded your um, album just this past weekend. Uh, it's really incredible to be there. And let me say that, um, your jokes hit maybe a little too close to home for me. Um, so I'm going to start with, you talked about being misdiagnosed when I did. That's actually the name of uh, one of my lead singles (laughs) is misdiagnosed. So, um, uh, thank you again so much for having me on this show and thank you for coming to my show this weekend too. I'm so excited. I got to go. Um, So I was misdiagnosed as well for quite literally 20 years. Five psychiatrists got my diagnosis wrong. And when I got the right diagnosis, oh my goodness, my world changed. So I'm curious if you had that same experience, like when you finally got the right, and I'm using quotation marks, diagnosis. Yeah, so I think that that's actually a really common experience for women, which is why I call that track misdiagnosed, because I had been diagnosed with depression when I was like 11 years old. And then I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was 19. They hit me with borderline personality disorder when I was like 22. And then uh, I released my album Unstable. And I uh, became stable immediately after that. So I recorded that album in October of 2020. And then I received a PMDD diagnosis, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, when I was, it was December of 20. So like I had recorded that album, talked about bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, depression, really dug into those topics, and then got a different diagnosis, treated, treated PMDD and haven't had an episode since. So So I released unstable and then became stable. (laughs) And for listeners that don't know what PMDD is, it's basically just like really, really horrible PMS, but like a whole other level. Really, really intense, severe mood swings that would almost border on psychosis. So like when I, um, and I talk about this on Unprecedented, but when I got that diagnosis, somebody said to me, oh my God, girl, you're so lucky. You just have PMDD. It's like, it's, it's the same dress. We ripped the tag out. Like I earned that bipolar diagnosis. It's not like it was less severe symptoms. The you know, symptoms are the same. We just, you know, changed the right. label of what it was and treated for it. And also like when it comes to diagnoses and everything that goes along with that, like, I think that the hard truth is you have to be so interested and invested in your own health because doctors don't see you for a long time. Mm-hmm. So like when I got that diagnosis, it's because I advocated for myself. So like I had gotten off of the lithium because it wasn't working and it was starting to damage my organs. And so like they put me on something else that interfered with my birth control. And I was just like, no one's paying attention to the things I'm on 
my medical professionals are not caring about me the way that they need to. I'm going to figure out myself what's going on. And so like, I, I got off meds, uh, with the help of my doctor. Like I, I told her what we were going to do. I talked to my doctor. I talked to my partner and, uh, my roommate at the time. And I was just like, y'all check me. We're going to try this. I was like, I'm never, I'm not saying we're never going to paint the wall again, but like this wall has been painted since I was 11 years old. Let's see if we strip it down what is actually here and what we're dealing with. And so I actually had a whiteboard in my kitchen and uh, I had blank days since last emotional incident. And I just tracked my emotional incidents like a workplace hazard. And I kept a journal of everything I ate, everything I drank, everything I did, everything I listened to, to just try to like collect data about myself and figure out what was going on. And then it turned out, I was like, (laughs) wow, every 23 days I'm wiping the board clean. I have a suspicion. And then I yeah. went in and I was like, you need to treat me for PMDD. And she said, yeah, let's try it. And then I haven't had an episode since. So continue yeah. with birth control, which is something I was already taking. Just is take it, continuous. Now I'm good. You know, and I shared with you a little and I've shared, you know, with other listeners and, and then some things I've written that it was the sixth psychiatrist that I saw that finally gave me a diagnosis of bipolar. Um because I've been depression, anxiety, you know, like not, but nothing because my bipolar shows up a little differently than like the normal bipolar. I have anxious distress, which is basically looks like a really bad panic attack when I have mania. And so for me, I can feel when those symptoms are coming on and I can say, okay, you know what, Amanda, this means you have to take a step back and you got to get enough sleep and you've got to eat all the right foods and care for yourself. And I can stop a relapse in my bipolar and it sounds like you know and I know like I can kind of tell what's when it's coming because I my sleep changes my food cravings change which is weird um but like you I kept track of the things that were going on so that I could understand when you know one of those manic episodes was on its way in so I could yeah mitigate the damages how about that we'll use that word mitigate well I always saw it as like uh, I always felt like a storm was coming and I was like I'm not going to stop the storm from coming but I can learn how to board the windows up so like it was just it was just survival I was just in survival mode for such a long time and I was so frustrated because I was taking medicine religiously I was always taking the medication as prescribed as it was given to me and it just wasn't working which made me think I was unfixable when the reality is that I had a basic hormonal issue and uh, could have been fixed a long time ago. So um, that, that's not my journey. <laughs> well, and, you know, it, it speaks to, I think, you know, both of our situations. You talked about advocating for yourself. I had to do the same with like, no, you're not giving me the right diagnosis. Like I've taken these medications before and they haven't helped. Um, and I think as women in general, like whether it's for mental health or physical health, we have to advocate on a different level, perhaps than men, I think, do. I think that's probably true. I mean, I went into the ER three times with uh, what I didn't know at the time was gallbladder pain. And the first two times I was sent away with Tylenol and told I had cramps uh, when in reality I needed to have emergency surgery. By the time I went in the third time, I needed to have an ER, like emergency gallbladder. And lost in Oregon. <laughs> like if they, had, if they would have taken me seriously in the beginning, I might've been able to just like dissolve the gallstones, but that's not what happened. They told me I had cramps. And so, and then as women too, I mean, I know that when, when doctors see on my chart that I have a bipolar diagnosis, yep. they make assumptions about 
lots of things, like what I'm able to just comprehend. It's like, it's like immediately they see that bipolar diagnosis and my IQ drops by 20 points in their mind immediately. So that is something that is incredibly unfortunate, but like a hard truth that we have to tackle. Um, so something that my therapist told me, actually, she said it was so vital that I get the bipolar diagnosis expunged for my record, because if I do want to have children in the future, if I'm ever in the hospital, she's like, she, she was, she was very point blank. She's like, they might not, they may not take you as seriously if they see that on your record, um, which is not how it should be. But that's something that I didn't even know you could do is like, you know, make sure that your diagnosis has changed and that your medical records reflect that. So um, when I didn't have the bipolar diagnosis anymore, my doctor changed it to PMDD and made sure that that was all covered and good. Um, also, I do want to say like, there's a lot of value to therapy too. I started going to therapy in 2020 and did that. And that was something that was a huge help. So combination of therapy, self-reflection, you know, knowing yourself and then like tracking your physical symptoms, like that well, combination. Of I think beneficial to me. like therapy, like I, I'm a believer in medication and therapy. Like I think you need, depending on what your diagnosis is and what you've going on, but every single human in the world needs to go to therapy. At some Everyone point, can benefit from therapy. Absolutely. Like you, you will get something from it. If you go in with an open yeah. mind and you're ready to like dig in. Now it can suck. I don't know about you, but like in that beginning of therapy, when you're unpacking everything, it's like a hot mess. And you're like, you see all of your shit in front of you and it's overwhelming. But then- so the the biggest benefit for me uh, was I, I kind of just treated it like class and I got very interested in learning about myself and it was exciting for me to see my patterns laid out in front of me because something about me is like, once I realize I'm doing something and I can understand why I'm doing it, I can break my behavior because I recognize it. Like you can't change something you don't know is happening. Right. But when I tracked everything and I saw the reactions I was having and got to the, the meat of why I was like, oh, well, I just don't have to do that anymore. Because your brain is a computer, you can rewire your brain and you can you can change things. And there are things you can do, like um, even in, if you're about to have a panic attack. Right. So like there's a mm -hmm. there's a store here that has nostalgia candy. So I keep warheads around whenever I can, because sometimes if you just pop a sour candy or an Altoid or something, that's one of those things that can kind of snap you out right. of an episode, like just changing sensory things around you. So like therapy was super useful for getting tools. And so I, I'm also a big proponent of like normalizing long-term and short-term therapy. I did short-term yeah. and got a lot of tools and learned a lot about myself and then moved on. <laughs> you know, it's, you're talking about tools and I'm going to share this one because we're sort of talking about it, but a friend of mine struggles with some obsessive thoughts. And one of the things was she would always worry that her um, curling iron was, she'd left her curling iron on. So sometimes she would get you know, out of her neighborhood and turn around and go check to make sure her curling iron was turned off. And her therapist told her, this isn't going to fix like the underlying thing, but it will fix this in the moment. Take the curling iron with you when you leave the house. Yeah. Or take Put a picture, your, right? Put it in your purse. Like just take it with you, have it in the car, then you know. And like that, what a great tool that is. Like it doesn't fix the problem. You still are going to have to dig into the, why are you so worried about the leaving the curling iron on, but now you can free up mental space for other things, not stressing out about the curling iron. Well, I think that that's something that maybe we don't realize is like, you're allowed to make accommodations for yourself. Like if there's something that's going to make your life easier, even though it might seem silly, just do it. 
Well, I mean, you know, I look like a little old lady with my little, like, you know, weekly pill, you know, like I prep it on my, my pills and my little weekly pill container with the Monday AM, Monday PM. I don't care. It means I take my medication, which means that I'm stable and happy and I sleep well and, you know. You just have to find what works for you. And, and I think that that's, I mean, with everything, um, fun works with you, works for you, but for both of us having, you know, been misdiagnosed for a good chunk of our lives, like you did. And like I did, we knew that something still wasn't right and kept trying to figure out the answer. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, like there's, there's relief in diagnoses for a lot of people. And like, I've had that experience. Like when I got the bipolar diagnosis, I was like, Oh, okay. Thank God I can get better. And that's the kind of feeling you get when you get a diagnosis. When I got that PMDD diagnosis, the rage that came over me. Cause I was like, my God, you just didn't check my hormones. Like you just didn't, you just didn't check anything. You didn't take in consideration that I was on birth control. Like you just handed me lithium at 19. Cause I was a psychology student. And I said, I thought I had it. Like you're the doctor. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm in college and I dropped out. <laughs> but it's, like, it's so funny that you went in and said, I think I have bipolar because when I got my bipolar diagnosis, I was like, uh, no, sir, you were wrong. I am not that crazy. Cause I, in my brain, I was like, if you have bipolar, then you are really messed up. Like in like there were hierarchies of mental illness. Well, that's like, the other thing too. Like I never had delusions. I never heard or saw things that weren't there. Like I just straight up didn't meet the criteria for a bipolar one diagnosis. Um, and they gave me, they gave me lithium. And like for a while it did work. You know, when I first started taking it, you got something new in your system. I had that in conjunction with a, uh, with an antidepressant. Um, and so like, it did change my feelings for a while, right. but then, you know, it just wasn't working. Cause I would, I would get triggered by something else. And then I was abusing alcohol cause I didn't know what to do with my feelings because uh-huh. I was a kid. Like when you're 20, you're still a kid. <laughs> I, I don't think you're a full grown adult until like at least 25 and probably not even then, but I, I'll make people that are 25 feel like they're real adults. Well, What's, what's so difficult is like, I remember everything that I felt when I was younger. I remember feeling like that person. I remember my thoughts and I just remember thinking like, I'm grown. This is, this is grown. But with the power of social media, I'll look back on videos that I made when I was that age. And it's like, I look like a teenager. I taught my voice is higher. Like I, you know, with, with the, the ability to look back and reflect more, you can see like, oh, I'm still growing up. I'm still, I'm still a kid. And when I'm 35, I'm sure I'll feel that way now at 30. But you know, over Thanksgiving, I went to Kentucky where I, I grew up for my high school reunion. Um, it was our 25th high school reunion. So, I mean, like we're, you know, we're, we're real adult adults and most of us are married and kids. And I'm looking around this room and I'm like, he's a lawyer, she's a lawyer, he's a doctor, like, he's, you know, like, and I'm looking at all these people, and I'm like, like, we're, like, really, like, adults, when did that happen, and then, like, I looked at my friend, and I'm like, you're, you're a cardiothoracic surgeon, and you're super smart, but, like, I remember when you were in, like, second grade, and you threw up all over Miss Watkins' shoes, and like, it's funny because, you know, I'm not real. 
it's like, but you're, but you're like in charge of people's lives. <laughs> I kept like looking at these people. I'm like, you're a, you were a public defender. Like you were responsible for people's lives too. But I like, I remember things about you when you were little. And so even I mean, just getting, getting through your twenties is just such a fight. Like I wish I, I'm trying to be more vocal about that on stage where it's like, it's not going to get better, but it's going to get clearer. Like you don't know yourself until you're 30 and like something that I was super paranoid about. So my mother always told me that who you are at 28 is who you're going to be forever. And so when I was 27, I was like, Oh, I'm not going to be this forever. So I started my, I, I like really started my journey of self-improvement when I was 27. Cause I was like, I, I had so much self-loathing inside of me. And I was like, we're, we're not going to do this for the rest of my life. How, how are we going to get rid of this? And so like learning to love yourself and learn yourself is something it's... so, so vital. And just like the idea of like knowing you're going to grow up more. I think when you're in your early twenties, like you think you're grown and even your mid twenties, you're like, this is it. This is who I am. And it's like, nah, those last those last four or five years are really going to do so much for you. Like you won't believe it. You know, it's like now that I'm in my forties, I'm like, man, I learned, I grew so much in my thirties and like that. Oh yeah. Like, I'm sure there's so much coming for me. <laughs> and you know, I have to say, so what I did for my 39th year was I made a list of 40 things to do before I turned 40. That's great. Um, and it was really fun. Like it was everything from try 40 new recipes to read 40 books. Um, you know, like there were go on a trip somewhere by myself, like all these really like cool things. And I did not finish the whole list because it was, it was a lot. Um, I, I but- think doing stuff like that for yourself is cool though. Like I'm very dramatic. I had an entire funeral for my twenties. So like I released unprecedented on 429. It was 29 tracks and it was my last day of being 29 years old. And I had a funeral comedy drag show album release party. <laughs> I, that sounds spectacular to me. Um, yeah. One of my girlfriends just had a funeral for her thirties. So um, like right there, I appreciate that. Well, we did eulogies. We had a whole thing. I actually, I burned, I had everybody write down bad feelings and we burned them after the show. I'd written like a letter to myself. We just burned it. And then I kept the ashes in a pink urn. And then when I did the sorry for your loss tour, I actually uh, spread those ashes across the country. I kind of love that. It's like, yeah, leave a little bit of your self, your difficulties along the way. Like, well, that was, so that was a coping mechanism. So I use comedy a lot to cope with trauma. <laughs> I think that there's um there's a huge psychological benefit to being able to take your feelings and process them through writing in a way where it's like, you're not just trying to identify the feeling, you're trying to identify the feeling in a way that makes it relatable and humorous and like being able to connect with other people directly through that experience is so unmatched for me. Like the entire process of yeah. writing and using comedy as a device to heal. Um, so like I, you were at my show on um, Saturday. I actually didn't get my dad's ashes. Uh, so like I, I went through this horrific fight with my stepmother and I did that for narrative purposes because I had so many deaths this year that I just combined death stories because you guys couldn't handle that. I had a few, I had a few months to handle all the death I had to process in 2022. I wasn't going to do it to you guys in an hour. So um, I just kind of, I just kind of combined 
those jokes. And also because you guys went through a lot with the other stuff that we talked about. It was very heavy. Set. It was. Um, so like me, me getting those ashes was like me trying to cope and do that. And so like I, at towards the end of the tour, I let other people spread the ashes out. And so that was kind of cool. And that, that entire tour that I did this year was completely based around my legal date to do mediation with my stepmother. So I did a tour around it. And I mean, hey, look at you like using crappy family stuff to experience our country. If I'm going to have trauma, it's going to be a tax write-off. Look at that. Yeah. What a financially benefit from your trauma. You know, but that's. But here's the thing is like our mental health impacts our financial stability as well. Sure. Right? And by like, like you, you can't function, you can't work if you like if you're sad all the time and you don't want to get out of bed, it, like I was for a long time. Like you can't make money. Nobody wants to pay you for like sitting, like laying in your bed for 17 days in a row without showering and a knot in the yeah. back of your head so big you got to pay your hairstylist to comb it out for you because you can't well depression's not a uniform so it doesn't well, look like, the same on everybody i wear it a little differently <laughs> we all, i mean yes we all you know wear it in our own way and and it looks different and that's the thing i think too is if your depression looks different than mine and someone else's that other person might be like well i don't really have anything that needs to be dealt with because it's not as bad as or it doesn't look like yeah you should never compare yourself to other people um I always like to say like a depression is like a department store dress where it's like you know some of us might wear it a little bit differently but like even if it looks good on me that zipper is digging into my back (laughs) like just because I'm wearing it just because I'm wearing it a little bit differently doesn't mean it's not still uncomfortable I like that kind of metaphor of like it's all yeah. Right. And too, like depression, there's that list of symptoms that we're supposed to fit into or bipolar or whatever, but you don't have to have all of them and they all look just slightly different. So yeah, I like that. Yeah, idea. I, I kind of, I go on the fence between like there, there is a relief in finding the correct diagnosis for you, mm-hmm. but I tend toward the side of not finding your identity. And I know, I know a lot of people are big in finding their identity in a diagnosis, but especially when it comes to like something like bipolar or borderline personality disorder, like I think it's damaging to find your identity in mood disorders and personality disorders. Uh, obviously people with autism and ADHD feel differently. Um, mm-hmm. But when it comes to the mood stuff, like it's really, I, you're just, you're more than the acronyms that, Yes. Dictate and you know, you say that I like, I think I mentioned, I mentioned you have ADHD too. And ADHD is part of my personality because it is like, I'm forgetful. I talk really fast. Sometimes I quite literally will have squirrel moments. Like I've been talking to someone I'm like, Oh, look at that squirrel. And then completely forgotten what I was saying. Yeah. And you know what else is really interesting? So I'm, I'm a TikTok person. Um, People want to diagnose people they don't know online. And it's so strange. Like people will tell me constantly that I have ADHD. I do not. Uh, and people are like, well, you talk really fast. You're manic. It's like, no, I have 15 to 60 seconds to tell you a story. We all started talking faster when we got on social media because we have to relay our information faster. 
and the algorithm likes when you talk faster. Like that's not, that's not a criteria for diagnosing mental health just by somebody you see on a screen for 60 seconds. And people are really comfortable throwing medical terms around. Well, comfortable. How arrogant of someone to have never met you in person and be like, oh, I know what's going on in your brain. For credit, like for me, for 36 years, I lived with my brain and I didn't know it was going on in my brain. So like, yeah, that's, oh, I would, I would want to throw hands and fight somebody that tried to tell me. That's such a regular thing. A lot of creators online experience it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm not. Yeah. I'm great at looking at social media. I'm not so great at like posting on it. And it's not, um, I have thoughts about social media that I think it's great and awful all at the same time. Social media is a gun. It's a tool, you know, but you could hurt yourself with it, you know? Yeah. Yes. Cause it's, um, and there's some, maybe, it, maybe a gun is too extreme. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's, but it's, yeah, well, it's, you have to, you have to know how to use it and you have to know when to put it down. And I think that's it. Like when to put it down, when to stop that, like, is it kind of like, like self-harm in a way, like when you're scrolling and scrolling and you start that comparison that we talked about and, oh, this person's better than me because I'm not good enough because look, like this person who's 25, they own a house and I don't. So they must be better than I am. Well, it's not just the danger of comparison. It's the fact that like your value is then associated with a follower count or a view count. And that's not healthy. So one of the biggest things that changed my life and my daily routine was I don't look at my cell phone in the morning anymore. Uh, during the pandemic, I bought an alarm clock because I got frustrated. I was like, the first thing that I see in the morning are notifications in social media, or I'm like looking for notifications. I either want to know if I have them or I'm like, why don't I have them? And it's because like, it's the first thing I do when I go to turn my alarm off, you just see everything else that's on your phone right. screen. So like my social media uh, apps are not on my main page on my phone. And I don't look at my phone until I wake up in the morning. So like I had initially gotten an alarm clock, like a physical, like $10 alarm clock. And, mm -hmm. across the room. and now I kind of wean myself off of that. And I just flip my phone over and have it on the other side of the room if I have to use the alarm. Um, but I just like not looking at social media until you've gotten up and taking care of yourself. Like I do, I do vitamins, cleaning, make your bed, self-care, get ready for the day. And then I enter the online space. So that's been something that's been helpful yes. for me is I'm not just constantly attached to it and part of it. Like I enter it and then I exit it. Like you have to create your own doorway when it comes to social media and no one to shut it. Yeah. So it's really intentional for you and it's separate from yourself that like, yeah, it's as I think it should be like, cause there is something that's just like, it's become an extension of us. And I don't think that's mm -hmm. healthy. Well, and you know, I have teenagers and so like Snapchat is a thing and streaks and like, you know, they always yeah. have, and it's wild to me because whether it's my kids or other kids, you know, they'll snap someone a picture and it's like of their forehead and the ceiling. Like it's just, to respond. It's not like there's no value in that interaction. It's like, I just want that like tally. No, your time, your time has become currency. And it, I mean, it always has been right. But I think we give it more so much. Now. And I, I think we give it away more freely too. And that and when I say that, like I can scroll for an hour and all of a sudden I've lost track of 
time and I've given time to all these creators that I have no actual connection with. Not even sure I actually gained anything from any of their content, you know, but something else is valuable. I think is like, um, you, you teach the algorithm how to treat you. Uh, like you have some power over how it treats you. So like if you don't get views and then you just keep creating, it knows that it doesn't have to give you views because you're just going to desperately try to get its attention and it gets more content out of you. Mm-hmm. As opposed to if you go, nope, that was a good video. Like I'll just delete stuff and re-upload it and say, try again. That was good. And, you know, for I don't create how to treat you. <laughs> I don't create much, but I do notice that like on TikTok in particular, um, your for you page, right? Like my for you page has changed over time as I watch different videos and, yeah, um, you know, like TikTok definitely knows that I have ADHD. TikTok also thinks that I am gay, either a gay man or a gay woman. It just depends on the day. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm also like definitely a Texan in there, but it's, and apparently I um, am also a black um, woman cook the cooks because I get lots of recipes about macaroni and cheese, even though I'm vegan. But TikTok doesn't know I'm vegan because I get, you know, it's wild. Yeah. I guess it's being, just- being a creator online, too, is frustrating uh, because like as much as like you try to teach the algorithm how to treat you, like you are still limited and and what you can do and it's it's so frustrating to want to be able to connect and build a community and be limited by these apps so like that's something that i really love about stand up is that you're connecting in person in the moment that day right there you know if somebody likes you or you don't and you just accept it for what it is and you move on and, and you, you get to have conversations yeah. and like you get to have that real connect in real you, time yeah you can hear the laugh or not right like yeah. it's it is very clear like that joke landed or it didn't. And that gives you information to use when you make a future joke. But on social media, like TikTok, if it doesn't show up in the algorithm, you don't know if people didn't respond to that because if a tree falls in the forest. <laughs> it's yeah. like, was it funny or was it like not? I don't know because I didn't get any feedback at all. Yeah. Well, uh, there's also like there's also always the <laughs> the horrible possibility that your video is shown to millions of the wrong people, <laughs> uh, which has happened to me before. I've had, I've had online mobs come for me because they're upset a woman's talking. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, and that's, you know, I see so many creators that are like, if you are this kind of person, will you please interact with this video so that I get back on the right side of yeah. TikTok? And absolutely. There's a little piece. I've of done me. that before. I've been like, witches, come get me. Get me back on the right side of me. Well, and it's, but, you know, we've talked about like social media can be difficult and problematic. And also I've made some really amazing friends through social media. Absolutely. Um, it's an incredible tool to build a, to build a community. Um, and that's what they're banking on is you wanting to do that. And so they, they get the, and, the time out of you. And I mean, let's face it, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, well, Twitter's kind of a hot mess right now, but Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, they're all making far more money off of us than we'll ever make off of being a creator or anything for them. 
And well, something that I kind of pivoted to this year. So like I've made, I, I self-produce all my albums, but mm -hmm. I also started producing albums under closet comedy records for other comedians this year. So I've made eight, nine uh, records this wow. year for other comedians because I want people to be compensated for their time. And like through streaming is just another source of revenue to do that. Also, it kind of, it gives you another avenue to connect with people who will like you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the frustrating thing about all of these platforms is that they can disappear at any moment. So when I actually uh, released Unprecedented, I had done like a four month promotional period. So I recorded on 1221, uh, 21, uh, no, 1221, 22. Uh, no, what, a, what year is it? <laughs> Time's not real. I recorded 1221, yeah. 21 yeah. last year. Yes. We're coming up on the one year anniversary of Unprecedented. So I recorded last year um, and then I did like a four month promotional period for it. And the week that I was supposed to release it, um, not only was my album not released, but Unstable was also taken down because I was collateral damage from a lawsuit from other comedy labels. Like they took the entire comedy genre down from Spotify. And then instead of and instead of sending out a form saying like, hey, this is what's going on with something else, blah, blah, blah. If you want to keep your content, sign this form. They took it down and then they said, do you want it back? Sign this. And so uh, when my second album came out, it was only on every other platform. But Spotify had removed the entire genre and nobody talked about it. It just disappeared. Really? Yeah. And then we had to re we all had to go through a process and sign a form and reinstate our content. Um, and comedians are also valued at a lower rate than musicians. And that's why there's um, some controversy going on on the back end for the digital side because uh, we're not getting writing credits. Well, like, we're not getting compensated the same way that musicians are, even though our entire job is composing writing. Um, but yeah, and we'll I, thing. <laughs> but we did do a lot of Clause.comedy Comedy records this year that I'm proud about that you can go to clause.comedy.com and check out. And they're on all platforms. We are all on Spotify now too. Um, but just like the idea that um, that can disappear is so scary. So um, it is, and you know, Again, live events are nice. <laughs> yes. And like live events allow that like personal connection and that sense of community. And I know that, you know, you talked about Claws Out, um, that's your production company, right? And production company. We're catty. Yeah. Oh, heard, I like that. <laughs> and cat catty or catty. Like catty. I love I love a pun. I do too. They're like my favorite. Um but so with that, you work like really trying to talk about like mental health and amplify those voices, right? Is that something? Absolutely. Like yeah. We're, we're a very inclusive space. We're diverse. We're, we're really like everybody is safe where we're at. Unless you're an asshole, then you can leave. <laughs> That's like our only rule at all of our events is don't be a dick unless it's funny. I, I'm, I think that's a pretty good rule. It's pretty that. easy. <laughs> I mean... Being funny, like, makes up for a lot of stuff, I think. Yeah, like, I'm also I'm also a bit in the unique space where, like, I'm a comedian and I, I'm also a producer. And so, like, I do as much as I can to create safe spaces for our audience members. But what I notice after the pandemic, I say after the pandemic, we're still kind of in it, whatever. You know, but after 2020, like, 2021, that whole year where, like, things were reopening and we were doing more, more events, right. people were getting more offended at jokes that are obviously jokes and like people would come out and like complain to me and I was like I'm not gonna side with you like that's it's clearly a joke no one came here to hurt your feelings and also like a lot of those 
a lot of those complaints were based in sexism. So like I had one show in particular where um, someone had made a joke, a black woman made a joke and a white man made the same joke. And when the white man got off stage, the guy had fist bumped him. And then when the black headliner made a joke, uh, she was the one that they like walked out and tried to complain to me about it. And I was like, oh, is it racism? Is it sexism? You fist bumped him. And it's basically the same, 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 you know, material kind of it wasn't the exact same joke but it was the same subject matter i was like come on no i'm not gonna side with you because i still think free speech is important and i still think telling a like the ability to be able to tell a joke and it be a joke is yeah. still very important to me and you know i so i am i am in that space where it's like i try to create a safe space but also like if you can't handle a joke please don't come well and i you know i know that when you like before your um recording for your album it was very much like we are going to talk about heavy stuff if you're not comfortable with that if you can't joke about this if you're not in a good space leave like no yeah, shame I, leaving. I i asked ruth to do that for that one in particular i really i really wanted because especially with what i was talking about on this new album like mm -hmm. i i don't want to subject people to not like some it's not it's not funny in any scenario to some people and that's totally okay but I also think it's important that I try to make it funny so that we can have conversations about assault and abuse. And I, and I think that when, you know, there are going to be some people out there that are like, we shouldn't joke about those things because they're right. serious, just like mental health. And yet when we can joke about them and make the conversation less icky and like not so scary to talk about because we can laugh and have some humor in there we can have some really incredible conversations that open yeah. up. The and, I, and I talked about death and stuff a lot too. And like, some people don't think that's funny. Okay. Cause you know, what's amazing. You don't have to listen to my albums. You don't have to, no one's making you. And, and I think right. Like at different times in our lives, different things are funny. And I might not have, you know, found a joke about death funny, like right after my grandmother died or something. Right. But like, yeah, no, like, you know, there's humor in it, like humor in having to have an appointment to pick up your dead loved one's ashes. And you're right. Yeah. Like, I remember when my grandmother died, um, my dad's mom, who was cremated, he had a whole catalog of like urns. The way that they tried to make us buy a tapestry, we're like, like you could get your dead loved one's face on a blanket. And I was like, does anybody get this? And she was like, no, the blanket's kind of weird. We don't talk about it. I was like, cool. <laughs> like, well, it's such a weird experience. And it's so, it's so, so this year was a big death year for me. <laughs> uh, so like, you know, I think that's maybe something that happens as you turn 30 and then everybody just stops dropping like flies or starts dropping like flies. So uh, I realized that that's kind of another industry that's, predatory and it was really upsetting so I actually did um I got back from the sorry for your loss tour trying to settle my dad's estate uh which I am going to be able to do by the end of this year knock on wood um but then when I got back from the tour I literally had gotten done sorting through my family's photos and it was two weeks after I had gotten back my fiance's dad died and so like we went through it and started it again um and so like a lot of a lot of this experience that I didn't get to have with my dad, I got to have with his dad. And so like just going to the funeral home and like, you know, I'm in the wrong industry. They were trying to charge me $800 for a slideshow. Um, they also like they price gouge based on where you die. Some funeral homes are more expensive than other funeral homes, even if they're a chain based on your zip code. Like it's, it's so gross. Um, 
I don't have much more to say than that other than like it's just really it costs like five hundred to two thousand dollars to put an obituary out in the paper. What? Like it costs like seven to ten grand just to die. It's crazy. It is the cost of funerals is wild. It's wild. I mean, even just having like your loved one cremated, like nothing fancy, like just yeah, no basic like, basic package expensive. And it's like, but what, like, what else are you going to do? You have to spend the money. You can't just like, and you have to pay, like, what is it? it? There's that, there's that cardboard box that no one ever sees for transport. And it's literally a cardboard box and it's like $240 or something. And then it like gets burned up. Or, which, <laughs> like it's, but, but they know that they know they can charge for that because, because what are you going to do? Like what? I'll just take them myself here. Like have them sit in my front seat. No, like you, I guess you could ride in the HIV lane if they're sitting in the front seat next to you. It's, it's a horrific experience. And it's so weird that it's not streamlined yet. Like we are all going to die, but there was so much confusion when with every death I've experienced this, this past year, like every experience was different and like everybody was disorganized. And it's like, why is this not like an assembly line? Like, why is there not somebody to clearly explain this is what the process is. This is what's going to happen next. And like to walk you through it. And there's just not, which is so silly to me because like, it's the one thing that is absolutely inevitable and we don't have it nailed down as a process. Yeah. Like every single one of us is going to die. Everyone, every one of us. My mom always heard one of her favorite jokes, not really a joke, but she's like, do you know what the leading cause of death is? And I'll be like, what? Birth. True. Okay. You're not wrong. Cause literally being born is going to cause you to die. Right. Like, but right. I mean, you go in after a loved one is, has died and you're overwhelmed, right? Like you're just trying to navigate life in this moment, dealing with grief. And all of a sudden there's a book put in front of you that has caskets that are, you know, the basic one that's what, like, I don't know, 2000. Who's getting, bar- who's getting buried anymore in this economy? Right. <laughs> But, you know, like you look at it and it's like, oh, but are you a bad, you know, loved one if you don't spend the $5,000 on a casket or $10,000 with the, you know, special. Well, that's, so that's another one of those things, though, where it's like, if we would just take it upon ourselves to plan our own death, we wouldn't have to leave that for our loved ones. Like that would be the best kindness you can do for someone you love is to plan for your death and like have stuff in place so that mm-hmm. they don't have to worry about it. Like I went through absolute hell this year with my stepmother because the other thing that's really difficult to to acknowledge is like you don't just grieve your loved ones sometimes you grieve who you thought somebody was and so like sometimes the hardest part of death is dealing with the people who are still alive oh 100 percent. yeah and like my my i think i kind of share my dad died when i was 19 so a million years ago now it feels like and I'm still learning things about him that I didn't know when I was younger that like, Oh, well that explains some things about my dad or, you know, because I was 19 when he died, which meant that I have, and I'm 43 now. So it's been a lot of years, but also, you know, when you're 19, you idolize your dad, especially like when he'd been sick for so long. And so now I'm like hearing stories about like how he, you know, hopped from job to job to job and, 
you know, that like my mom was the stable one. And it's like, I always thought my mom was the unstable one. Like she had the stable career, but like. Oh, isn't it the worst to learn your parents are people? <laughs> I know. <laughs> How dare you be a person? Um, uh, there's, there's one joke that I didn't say that I wish I, cause I, I, I hadn't said this before and that's why I forgot to, to throw it in. I I'd written it when I was like, kind of blocking out the album and I just forgot to say it, but like, and like until the day my dad died, cause he had cancer. Uh, he was so adamant that he was going to get better. And I was like, well, manifesting doesn't always work. Uh, <laughs> to maybe talk. That's a one joke. It's funny. It's funny. It's, uh, I thought, I mean, for the next one, for the next but one. It's, no, but I mean, and there's so much life we don't plan well enough for and death either. Um, and I think, you know, all of life we don't plan well for because we're not taking care of our physical health, our mental health, our spaces, our relationships, you know, it's, we're so focused on, I don't know, I'm, I think this whole, the hustle culture is getting in the way of people enjoying life. And I think that there's great Well, we have to though. We have to, because uh, we're, we're in a horrible recession that they did a lot of I mean, yeah, because you got to have money and everything is ridiculously expensive. And this is how old I am. I took um, my my partner and my kids to dinner last night for his birthday. And we went to Olive Garden because that's where they decided. More family map. Yes, exactly. Um, and so we get there and I literally, I haven't eaten at Olive Garden in a long time and I open it up and it's like the choose your own pasta Thing and I look yeah. at it and it was $12.99. And I was like, when did this become $12.99? It used to be $8.99. Like, what happened? And I'm like, oh my God, I just complained about the prices. One, like, am I that old that I'm complaining about prices at restaurants? And two, no, really, it's like one and a half times as expensive as it was like two years ago. But I, I wish that people would be more honest about what's about to happen in 2023. I think it's going to be really bad. I'm not. I'm, I don't want to add to anybody's doomsday anxiety, um, <laughs> but just like factually, actually, um, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be rough. A lot's going to gonna happen um, in the next couple of years. It's going to be overwhelming. And I think it's going to impact a lot of people's mental health, which yeah. is. Well, because it's going to impact people's finances, which is going to impact the connection that they have and the ability that they have to get resources and to get help so um, um there are there are a lot of free things out there that new 988 number i think is great for national oh, yeah. um you know there there are some things available and claws out is trying to create more of a tip economy uh in conjunction with the other bigger shows that we do that are ticketed events so we are going to try to start creating more kind of tip shows uh in 2023 because I still want people to have safe spaces to be and to, you know, congregate and to like enjoy comedy, right. especially like when times are dark, I think it's important to have comedy. And then while entertainment is kind of a luxury thing, um, I still want people to have access to that. And especially for comics too, it's important for us to have an outlet where we can speak and tell jokes and, you know, be in front of people. So there is, there is a value to just getting people in a room. Um, you know, creatively so we're we're trying to add a little bit more in 2023 for that as well but we do have our big productions we've got a big claws out comedy and drag show on january 19th 
Um, I'm going to do a big Marvel themed show on February 16th. Like we're doing some big, cool things. We're bringing a new variety show into Fort Worth in February, which will be kind of like um, like a cattier, sassier, whose line is it anyway? So we're, we're doing a lot of different show formats yeah. and trying to branch out into different kind of forms of entertainment oh, yeah. and different levels of access to that entertainment. So and help we'll make see. sure that, that both consumers get the entertainment and that experience, but also that the creators, the performers get to share their things and make money. Yeah. Which... So, you know, drag, drag shows do it all the time to work for tips. Um, and oh. like, I've done some tip shows in the past as well for, stand up when we were like first starting but um a lot of the comics that we get are who've been on tv like i'm sorry you got to pay 15 20 bucks to come to the show it's a really good show um, but we are going to make something that's like a little bit more in between where it's not a full-on production but you right. can still come and see and you can see you can see pros it's basically going to be like a like a pro open mic like so we're going to have these showcases where it's professional comedians but they're working out new stuff which is really like a fun place to be as an audience member too. Like you're getting to see something as it's being created instead of like. Yeah. Sure. So like, we um, want we want to create spaces for comedy fans. Like we're, we're really trying to tap into the people that want entertainment, the people that like certain things. And like, we want people to have like a cool comedy date night option. And like that, that Marvel show we're doing in February is going to be really, really cool. I'm really excited about I'm everything we've you know it's maybe we'll do a swift night to celebrate the eras tour coming through i i have a weird love for taylor swift um i'm yes i'm a girl weird love. completely justified the woman's a genius she really is and um yeah. sorry she's a mastermind <laughs> yeah um but you know maybe she's the problem i don't know but what's funny is my my partner he loves metal like he is a like you know hair bands metal guy i love taylor swift um and i was like yeah i like taylor swift and he likes metal but we meet in the middle and my friend is like that's a country lyric like a country song lyric and i'm like i don't know she's like oh no it is it's funny that like you're super taylor like and he is i mean yeah we were in the car last night he's like i'm gonna teach your kids and put on metallica and i was like and then my kids are like, you know, good to be well-rounded. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. It's good to be well-rounded. Um, and I'm excited that like this Marvel show, I'm going to keep an eye out for because February 16th is the anniversary of my dad's death and he loved superheroes. So this is uh, like a you great go way to, to honor him. Um, yeah. But I love that you're trying to keep comedy and entertainment accessible, even as people have less disposable income. Yeah, I want I want the people who can afford to be there to get, I, you know, give what you can, come come to the shows that are right for you. Maybe it's not every event that's right, but like, I don't know, maybe we'll try to give away like free tickets at other events. We're also stepping into Dallas and Arlington more this year. So um, hopefully that. I was, I was producing in Austin last year and that was uh, too much. <laughs> I was driving down to Austin one of three times a week to do events as well and like running stuff in conjunction in DFW and Austin. And that's a lot that of, a lot of yeah, that was a lot. That was a lot for me. And, but and for those I like you, to stay busy. For those of you that don't live in Texas, um, well, Austin and DFW are both 
in the same state. About a three hour drive. Yeah. But like, uh, you can also drive for 10 or 12 hours and never leave the state of Texas. So like, yeah, absolutely. People don't fully understand like how huge, um, Texas is. Um, so yeah, I think like, Mona, thank you for hanging out with me and talking, you know, about what you do and how you're trying to open up the conversation. Um, and at the end of every episode, I actually share what I call a mental morsel, which is just like a little nugget to take with you to help with your mental health. And um, kind of, we're just talking about this laughing is great for your mental health. Um, in the short term, it actually can increase the oxygen in your body um, and it can relieve tension. It releases endorphins, which are those like, feel good hormones. It's wild that also long-term it can improve your immune system um, mm -hmm. and it can increase your just personal satisfaction with life. Like you're just genuinely more satisfied if you laugh more, you know, we should all be laughing. So all that has been officially endorsed by a psychotherapist. So we do have a video endorsement as well from. Oh, that's Dr. amazing. So yeah, I'm, laughing is good for you. I am a fan of bad bitches can be sad bitches. And I, I don't know about you, but I love a good dad joke. Um, our punny jokes, they're just, they bring me great joy. Um, so I'm just gonna, you know, since you're talking about building a new company and I'm building this podcast, um, and you tell jokes. So I was wondering, do you want to hear a joke about construction? I'm still working on it. Yeah. Terrible. I know. Um, oh, that's great. Um, so thank you so much for um, being here with me. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and you can find um, Mana at monacomedy.com and then Claws Out, is it clawsoutcomedy.com? Yeah, and so for social media platforms, I'm Mana Comedy across everywhere where you might see my face. I'm on Pinterest and TikTok and YouTube at M-O-N-N-A Comedy. And then Claws Out Comedy is C-L-A-W-S-O-U-T Comedy. Um, this was our first official year in business. This is my first year as a producer and entrepreneur as Claws Out Media and Entertainment. But, you know, we've got eight albums uh, that are going to be out at the end of December officially. Um, no, six. We've got two more coming out in 2023. And then uh, my albums, Unstable and Unprecedented, are on all platforms. And then Unfiltered will be on its way. I'm so excited. I can't wait for Unfiltered to, to come out. And um, I will link all of that stuff in the show notes so you can find all of her albums. I'll link them on um, Apple Music and Spotify and um, all of her websites. And um, so again, thank you so much. And I can't wait to see what um, is coming for you in the next year. Um, so, and with that, we have reached the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and learning more about how mental health and society meet. Now go out and open a conversation. Discover the ways mental health is being experienced in your world. You can find more of the Mental Society podcast episodes in all the places that you find your favorite podcast. And for additional resources and articles, uh, can visit our website at thementalsociety.com. And remember that you are not alone in your struggles. Hope and help are all around you. And until next time, this is Amanda Dolan, wishing you good health, mental and otherwise.